The one commandment that most people calling those Christians do not do is keep the Sabbath holy. Pray, go to church, even tithe. Check, check, check. Keep the seventh day rest? No. In fact, people will do almost anything on the Sabbath after they go to their Sunday church, right? Mow the lawn, the big football game, right? Parties, shopping, all those things. Almost anything. The seventh day Sabbath, though, is perhaps the one commandment that is the most ignored, the most forsaken, and the most broken of all. And in this age of COVID and isolation and quarantining and very convenient app church from your living room, it may be even under greater threat than ever. So today I'd like to talk about the Sabbath rest. First, let's address Sunday, though. One of the proofs invariably raised by advocates for changing the Seventh-day Sabbath to Sunday is an interesting one. They claim that there is not a single scripture in the New Testament that commands continued Sabbath keeping after Christ died. Every commandment except the Sabbath is restated in scriptures in the New Testament, they would say, in one way or another. We can find New Testament commentary against stealing and lying, adultery, murder, idolatry, coveting. They're all prohibited. But the command to keep the Sabbath is noticeably absent, they would say. There can be no coincidence, therefore, as the logic goes. It's different. Nothing to be found, so we fade the Sabbath command. To which perhaps we should say, are you serious? <laughs> A real scholar, or at least an honest thinker, might at least consider the basic principle of logic. You cannot prove a point from silence. Just because the Sabbath is not specifically restated is not a proof that it's done away with. True, but is the basic assumption correct? Is there not one statement in the New Testament that reaffirms the Sabbath? As some say. We know that the apostles continued keeping the Sabbath many years after Christ died, don't we? Let's start today. Open your Bibles, and we'll look at many scriptures, but we're going to start today in Acts, in the New Testament, the church, Acts 17, and we'll see what a paragon of Christianity was doing and saying. In Acts 17, verse 2, it says, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three, three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. Why didn't he just tell them to come back on the next day, Sunday? The response often goes from people, well, he was going to synagogue, it was Jews, so of course they refused to accept the change of the Sabbath to Sunday. However, is there a scripture that specifically says that we must continue to keep the Sabbath? Turn to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, where we'll see this Sabbath day rest described 11 times. And one of them is particularly important. Hebrews 4, verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So ten times we're going to see here, you can look at this and look at it later, you're going to see the word translated from the Greek as katapausis, with a K, katapausis. And it means a reposing, right? A lying down, 
what you and I would certainly think of as rest. We're resting. We're reclining. Only once is it translated from a different word, and that word is found in verse 9. So go down to Hebrews 4. We'll start in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, katapausis, recline, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Here, the word for rest is not like the other ones, katapausis, as it occurs ten times, but, the word you know well, sabbatismos. Translated in the margins is Sabbath keeping. The word is used here, I believe, only once in the entire Bible. Protestants, of course, would say that this is figurative language of a future rest with Christ, I suppose, I don't know. But its usage, sabbatismos, can be found in many secular writings, and over the years it's been quite clear that it means actual Sabbath keeping, keeping of the Sabbath day, the seventh-day Sabbath just as it does in the Old Testament. It meaning appears, certainly to me at least, clear. So you might say, <laughs> we're here on the Sabbath. I've been keeping the Sabbath for a long time. Thank you for the Sabbath lesson. I already knew that. Well, today's message is not about whether you believe the Sabbath still exists or should be kept. Obviously, you do. It's going to be about how we keep the Sabbath. Are we keeping the Sabbath today? Is it truly a day of rest for us as intended in the scriptures? And why are there all these references to the rest to come? Well, there have been many types of hope for rest in times past. I think most, firstly, I guess, of the children of Israel when they were in bondage in Israel, generation after generation, right? Hoping for a promised land, a place of rest after generations of slavery. But you know, even Moses, and I guess Joshua, as they led the children of Israel to the promised land, they got them there. But as you know the story, that time of rest did not last, certainly didn't last forever. The promised land across from Jordan was real. It came to fruition after years of bondage. It was nice, but it was only a type of the eternal kingdom of God, just like our Sabbath rests today are a type. So, from the very beginning, the Bible pictured the rest that would come to the world when Christ returned in spiritual power and glory to establish his kingdom. The land across the Jordan was only an inferior and an imperfect type of millennium. So let's read about the Sabbath from those days. Turn to Exodus, Exodus 20, verse 8. You know that well, too, the command. And we'll read it in full. It's actually the longest commandment by far, in terms of words. 96 words as I count. <laughs> I hope I did that right. So Exodus 20, verse 8, what does it say? The commandment, just as it came on the tablets from Moses down from Mount Sinai. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is in, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. 
What is the key phrase in all of those 96 words? Is the most important thing to not work? Is that the big driver of that set of scripture? I don't think so. That's important, of course. I think the language clearly shows the emphasis is on those four words. To keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. The seventh day was made holy time by God at the time he created Adam and Eve, and mankind was instructed to keep it holy from sunset to sunset. Every Sabbath while human beings were alive upon this earth. When the sun sets on Friday evening, regular time ends and holy time begins. What are we supposed to do in order to keep the Sabbath holy? What do we do to try to keep the time holy? Are we ever doing something we shouldn't do or be doing when the holy time begins? Are there things we do on the Sabbath that do not maintain its holiness? Why was the noun sabbatismos even translated at rest in Hebrews 9, uh, 4 verse 9 anyway? Rest? Holy? How does that all go together? I'm going to go back to the promised land. The promised land across the Jordan was a type of the kingdom of God. Moses and Joshua helped the children of Israel to physically get to the promised land, but neither man was able to give the children of Israel a life in that land on par with the coming eternal kingdom of God. It was good but it was not like this coming kingdom. There was no slavery. It was flowing with milk and honey. It was way better than Egypt, but not eternal life with joy unending. That clearly didn't happen. In fact, those lands today are a disaster. What does rest mean? You've read it many times. I'm sure you know, but have we diminished the importance? Rest means something profoundly important, something very special. It's something that was to be, is not now, but shall be in the future. Our Sabbath keeping today should reflect as much as possible life as God himself lives, eternal spiritual life. Have you ever thought about that? What is the life of God like? Let's find out. Turn to Psalms. Psalm 16, verse 11. What is it that God wants for us? What does the Sabbath day rest mean in the future? It clearly pictures something, but what? This scripture tells us. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Albert Barnes notes on the Bible says of this scripture, not partial joy, not imperfect joy, not joy intermingled with pain and sorrow, not joy which, though is itself real, does not satisfy the desires of the soul, as is the case with much of the happiness we experience in this life, but joy full, satisfying, unalloyed, unclouded, 
unmingled with anything that would diminish his fullness or his brightness. Joy that will be not diminished as all earthly joys must be by the feeling that it must soon come to an end. You ever been at a great meal and here comes dessert? Uh Uh-oh, it's almost over. The last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, it's over. What comes next? Today, our successes and our joys come to an end, always. What happens after a hole in one? A triple bogey, if you play golf. That happened to my dad. (laughs) What happens after the first three Star Wars movies? The next three Star Wars movies, right? Terrible. What happens after you get an A in algebra? You move on to calculus, right? What happens to cute little babies? They turn into teenagers. I was one. What happens to the Feast of Tabernacles? As I said, it ends. What happens to the beauty of youth? It fades. And what happens to every life ever conceived? Death. But God's life is different. Not impartial joy, not imperfect joy, not joy intermingled with pain and sorrow, but joy full, satisfying, unalloyed, unclouded, unmingled with anything that would diminish its brightness or its future. Joy will not be diminished ever. Turn with me to see what the Sabbath rest day heralds. Turn to Revelation, book of prophecies, and we'll see what this Sabbath day rest pictures and brings forth in the future. Revelation 21 verse 4, it describes further how God lives life. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. That's the history of the world right there. For the former things are passed away. Temporary joy followed by pain. Not in the kingdom. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The scripture we just read a few moments ago. A wonderful future awaits. But let's come back to today, right? And to the big challenge today. How can we make our Sabbath days more like the life that God now lives in constant joy? How can we do that? How can we make some progress towards that? Well, let's look at a scripture. Turn to Isaiah 58. We'll go back to the Old Testament and we'll look at some instructions about keeping God's way. I like the scripture because it lays out the challenge I just talked about. Here we go. Isaiah 58, verse 13 and 14. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride upon the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. These verses, I believe, give us insight into an appropriate Sabbath approach. And that's important because our thinking 
and our attitude and our approach to the Sabbath matter? Do we call the Sabbath a delight? Do we look forward to it? Or is it a requirement? Is it an impediment? Does it mean that we can't do a lot of things we want to do? Or does it mean that we can now do a lot of things that we love to do? And just how do we begin each Sabbath day? The Sabbath always begins Friday night as the sun sets, I'm sure you know. Have we prepared to welcome it? Or does it sometimes catch you unawares and distracted? There are two important days that are given names in the scriptures, the Sabbath and the day of preparation. And the day of preparation is a preparation for what? The Sabbath. Where were you last evening when the sun set? Think back. It's just last night. What was that like for you? What were you doing? Were you able to greet the Sabbath cheerfully and mindfully? Were you ready? Did it begin in honor and attention or not? If not, then we need to reprioritize and organize our lives better. That's easy. And what did you do from sunset until you went to bed? Susan gets up at 5.30 every morning, so we're in sleep by 7.30. That's not very long. <laughs> but you know, maybe you stay up later. What did you do? How did your activities and conversation comport with keeping the time holy? What things would? A family dinner? Maybe dinner with fellow Christians or church members? A family study, prayer, reading, Bible, literature, or the Bible itself? Sipping some wine as we watch the sunset? Listening to appropriate music? Calls to family members? A Bible game? Watching in accord? Reviewing your Sabbath service notes? Watching an FI class online? Things like that? Or for you, is it more... TikTok and Netflix. As you know, there are many psalms that deal with the Sabbath. They have a lot to tell us about making the Sabbath and church services a delight and learning how to begin living as God lives. Let's look at those. Turn to Psalms, Psalm 95, and we're going to talk about beginning uh, of the Sabbath. What's neat about this scripture, guys, is that the 17th century onward, this psalm has been included in the Jewish liturgy for Friday evening as the beginning of the Sabbath day. So this is what they look at, some people. Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Verse 3. For the Lord is great and a great king above all gods. Verse 6 and 7. O come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. <clears throat> Notice that the mind is drawn to God, his greatness, his salvation. We spend six days a week grounded in this world and its politics, business, entertainment, activities, and its thinking, don't we? DEI rollouts in school. Russia set to invade Ukraine, the joyless empty Olympics, the Super Bowl, 
Amazon's going to buy Peloton. Truckers blocking Canadian roads. Inflation, interest rates are rising. I got all of that from the Wall Street Journal this morning. But then on Friday evening, unlike most in the world, we stop and we take a break from those worries and those things, and we raise our eyes to God and to hopefully the glory of his great purpose in our lives. So it's essential to begin each Sabbath with this deepened awareness of our lives being in his presence. We're in the world, but when the Friday night comes, we are in his presence all the more. This begins to shape our minds to be receptive to the rest of the Sabbath day and its many great benefits. And Friday night turns to Sabbath morning. What is your morning preparation for Sabbath services? Sabbath morning can be a time for prayer, reflection, meditation, and study. Or not. You have to decide. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Here's something that we can do. (laughs) This speaks of praying for the ministry. When it instructs, it's very easy. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 29. Brethren instructs us, pray for us. Pray for the ministry. A simple, seemingly general request, but one which can help everyone benefit from the Sabbath. Clark's commentary says this about 1 Thessalonians 5.25. God requires that his people should pray for his ministers, and it is not to be wondered at. If they pray not for their preachers, who should invariably receive no benefit from their teaching, how can they expect God to send a message by him for whom they, who they are most interested, have not even prayed? We're in it together, right? And we pray that our ministry puts together messages that are helpful to us. This scripture is telling us to ask God to inspire the preacher, right? To speak to us through them, to stir and arouse within us an open mind to receive the benefits, just like we heard from the opening prayer. Thank you. What's another thing that we can address? Turn to Psalms 42, Psalm 42, verse 3. The Psalms again speak to this matter of what our attitude should be on Sabbath morning. Because we do not all get to come to church, do we? Psalm 42, verse 3. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The Jewish commentary says that this scripture, in this psalm we have a pathetic lament by one whose delight has been to participate in the service, but is now unable to do so. Unlike us that are here today, maybe watching right there. Here's someone who cannot attend services and misses it greatly. So we who have the opportunity to attend should make every effort to not only come, but prepare in advance so that we can benefit from attending. My next point, get the most out of the Sabbath service itself. Get the most you can out of the Sabbath service itself. What scripture would teach us about this? Ecclesiastes. Turn to Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 1. This is going to talk about how we should act when we come to church. Verse 1. 
Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they are doing. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Kind of shuts down talk radio a little bit. Joe Rogan's never read this scripture, I don't think. Our Bible commentary interprets these scriptures to say this. In our fellowship conversation in the house of God, care should be taken that no rash or inappropriate evil or idle words are spoken. Take care to speak towards what glorifies God and take time before entering to compose yourself. In other words, our fellowship should be uplifting and encouraging and helpful and friendly to each other and pleasing to God. Turn with me to Psalms. I said there's many scriptures that talk about the Sabbath and Psalms. Here's another one. Psalm 84. Psalm 84 and verse 1. This is also about appearing before God at church. The Jewish commentary says this scripture talks about the love of God that we should experience when we come to church. Verse 1 of Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Verse 4. Happy are they that dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Flip forward a few chapters to Psalm 92. Psalm 92, and we're going to look at verse 14, just to continue this thought. This is another psalm for the Sabbath day, and it was sung in the temple whenever services were conducted. Verse 14, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Again, from the Jewish commentary, we learn about this scripture. Like the trees which flourish when their roots are embedded in rich soil, the righteous derive their sustenance from the church services and they grow luxuriantly. This is what church services on the Sabbath was meant to offer all of us. When we are firmly anchored to the truth, church services fosters spiritual growth. We will grow richly, the Bible says. My final point, as we come to the end of this message, in a few hours we're going to come to the end of this Sabbath. Turn to Psalm 67. Psalm 67, and I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, This is a great lesson to learn about Sabbath and church services. So, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. That way, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. In Jewish liturgy, this psalm is recited at the end of the Sabbath. It describes the attitude a member should take away from keeping the Sabbath day holy. It's likened to being prepared for battle. 
We're facing a storm. We need a positive, upbeat, zealous attitude for what comes after the Sabbath, <laughs> right? Well, what does that mean? Well, there, here's this whole day, ideally, where we spent focusing on God in a very special way, and we've been able to rest physically, put the pursuits of the world behind us, pray more, study more, be around like-minded people, meditate in God's way, and we should walk out those doors right, as we come to the end of the Sabbath, to be ready for what faces us through the coming week, the grind, they say, the rat race, the mundane and the tedious at times, the chores of life, the traffic, the worldly politics, difficult people, anger, temptations all around, you know it. It's a battle that the, hopefully the Sabbath has prepared us for. Let's look at that as my final scripture. Psalms 144. Psalm 144, as we leave church and services, having prepared the night before, having focused in the morning, having prayed for the ministry, having fellowship with church members and listening to church services, what should, what should we be doing next? Again, focusing on God. Psalm 144, verse 1, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war, and my fingers for battle. This is another Sabbath psalm that is historically read at the end of Sabbath services. The Jewish commentary says about this very scripture, after the Sabbath, calm, comes the intrusion of the world, against which this psalm proceeds to invoke God's protecting hand. It is in him that man finds and wins the power to triumph and bear the fruits of victory. Brethren, this world will end too one day. And it surely will not go quietly. It will seek to consume and destroy everything and everyone in its unholy fires. But each week we have been given an opportunity to focus and celebrate on the future rest of God and what he has in store after the final battle is won. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let us remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy.